I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And good morning. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the winning of the lost and the edification of God's saints. Gospel Dynamite is a ministry of Asbury Baptist Church located at 218 Asbury Church Road, Seagrove, North Carolina. I invite you to visit our church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. You're also invited to visit our website, www.asburybaptist.org. In addition, you can reach more messages and more Bible teaching on gospeldynamite.org as well. Now will you join me in studying the Word of God? you're listening to Gospel Dynamite, I invite you to take your Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. Revelation 14, verses 14 through 20, as we look at when the judge of the universe passes judgment on the world. When the judge of the universe passes judgment on the world. Revelation 14, verse 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one set like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse's bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Now, as we continue our study, we must remind everyone that the book of Revelation is not written in chronological order. The first three chapters tell us about the Lord's letters to the seven actual churches that existed in John's day. Those chapters also paint a clear portrait of the church all the way from Pentecost to the rapture. Chapters 4 through 11 tell us about the chronology of the tribulation period. They take us all the way from the beginning to the end of that terrible seven-year period of time. In chapters 12 through 14, we're taken back to the beginning. These chapters give us the same time period from a different perspective. Now, we're no longer talking about the chronology of the book. Now we are confronted with the characters of the book. And through the series of seven visions, John takes us once again through the days of the tribulation. 
In our study of this book, we have arrived at the seventh of these visions. And these verses close out the pause in the action that we have been in since chapter 12, verse 1. When this chapter ends, we are going to be thrown back into the heat and the horrors of the final days of the tribulation. Now, before we deal with those things, we need to look at the vision that our Lord has given John when he comes again in power and glory. When Jesus came the first time, he came as a Savior. He came to give his life on the cross so that sin might be paid for and sinners might be set free. When he comes a second time, he is coming as a judge. He's coming to destroy sin, Satan, and all those who stand in defiance of God. And when Jesus returns, he will come in power, glory, and judgment, and none will be able to withstand him. There'll be no cross for Jesus the next time he comes. There will be a crown. There will be no tree for him to hang upon, but there will be a throne for him to sit upon. As we move through these verses, I trust you'll catch the vision. John shares of the Lord Jesus Christ and the coming days of his terrible judgment. I want you to notice in verse 14, we have the Lord and his returning. The first image we're given is of the Lord himself. He's sitting upon a cloud, wearing a crown with a sickle in his hand. Now, we must examine this image in greater detail. First, I want to call to your attention his person. There's no doubt about of whom John is writing. He's writing about the Son of Man. Now, you may remember this was one of the titles given to the Lord Jesus when he came to this earth the first time. And Jesus used this title to refer to himself some 84 times in the Gospels. It was the way he most often referred to himself. The title identifies Jesus with mankind. We could say that it is his human title, and it speaks of his sufferings, his service, and his sacrifice. And when John sees the Son of Man in the clouds, he is seeing the one who came to this earth and gave his life as a ransom for sin. John is seeing Jesus Christ. Of course, we are promised that Jesus Christ will come in this fashion in Revelation 1 and verse 7. In addition, Luke chapter 21 and verse 27. Now, John is giving us a preview of that glorious day when Jesus Christ will return in glory and power. Not only his person, I call to your attention, his position. When John sees Jesus, he sees him wearing a golden crown. The word crown translates the word for a victor's crown. It refers to the laurel wreaths that were given out to the victors in the ancient Olympic Games. The fact that this crown is golden identifies the wearer as a king. When John sees Jesus Christ this time, he does not see a carpenter. He does not see a humble Jewish rabbi. He does not see Jesus of Nazareth. He does not see the son of Mary. When John sees Jesus here, he sees the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He sees the one who invaded Satan's territory and carries off a great victory. He sees the one who walked valiantly into the jaws of death, shedding his blood on the cross to defeat sin and Satan and liberate sinners. 
He sees the one who walked victoriously out of that tomb on the third day. John sees the king who has come to take possession of his domain. And when Jesus comes back, there will be no debate. The United Nations will not convene to see whether he can reign or not. When he comes, he will be wearing the golden crown of the victor. This just means that all the battles have already been fought and Christ is the winner. Jesus will not rule by the leave of bid. He will rule by his right as creator, Lord, Savior, and King. But also I would call your attention to his power. When John sees the king, he has a sharp sickle in his hand. A sickle is an instrument used to harvest wheat. When Jesus returns, he's coming to both gather his people into his barn as a farmer gathers his wheat, and he's coming to cut down the wicked like a farmer cuts down his wheat. And we'll see more of that truth unfold in the next few verses. But for now, it needs to be said that Jesus can either be your Savior or he can be your judge. If you receive him in these days of grace, he will save you, take you to heaven. If you reject him, he will stand in judgment of your life one day, and he will either be your Savior or he will be your judge. The choice is yours. Now in verses 15 through 19, we have the Lord and his reaping. The next four, four verses unfold our Lord's plan to bring judgment to the earth. When he came the first time, he came as the Savior. He moved through this world sowing the seeds of the gospel of grace. My friend, when he returns, he will come as the reaper. He will separate the saint from the sinner. He will take the saints home to be with him in glory in heaven, and the sinner will be cast into hell. There are two harvests here described in these verses. Harvest time in the Bible is often used as a picture of souls coming to God for salvation, as is described in John chapter 4, 34, and 35. In these verses, the harvest is used as a picture of judgment. Now let's see what these verses have to say about the harvest the Lord is going to reap in the future. Verses 15 and 16, we see the reaping of the grain. These two verses describe the Lord Jesus, and he is shown thrusting in his sickle to reap the earth. The world is pictured as a field of wheat that is ready to be harvested, and the Lord takes his sickle and he reaps the field. Now what we're seeing in these verses share the fulfillment of a parable Jesus told in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, Jesus gives us the parable of the wheat and the tares. It is a story of a farmer who sowed a wheat field expecting to reap a bountiful harvest, but his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. The servants wanted to pull up the tares, but the farmer knew that doing so would destroy the wheat. His counsel was for both to grow together until the time of the harvest, then the tares could be gathered and burned, and the wheat could be gathered and placed in the farmer's barn. Now, in this same chapter, in Matthew chapter 13, verses 36 through 43, Jesus told his disciples what this parable meant. The good seed represented genuine believers, while the tares represented false believers. The good seed represents the saved, and the tares represent the lost. The problem with the wheat and the tares is that the two cannot be told apart while they are growing. The tares, which is a plant called the bearded darnel, 
looks just like wheat as it matures. The difference between the two plants become clear when they near harvest time. The head or the top of the tear turns black and stands up straight. It's filled with tiny black seeds that can cause nausea or even death. It's a natural magic, and when tares are harvested with the wheat, every kernel must be inspected. The wheat, on the other hand, has a head filled with heavy kernels of wheat. These kernels cause the head of the wheat plant to bend toward the earth. Now, the obvious contrast between the saved and the lost. Now, one day, Jesus will gather his wheat and the genuine believers unto himself. The wicked shall be cut down and cast into a furnace of fire. The judgment of the Lord is coming, and the Lord knoweth them that are his. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 19. The word ripe is an interesting word. It actually means to be dried or withered. It speaks of a crop that is overripe. What a picture of the grace and the long-suffering of God. The harvest of sin has been ripe since the first sin was committed in Eden. Yet God in his grace, love, and mercy has withheld judgment, giving lost men and women ample time to repent. Now one day his patience will be exhausted, his judgment will come on sinners, and you need to search your heart. And as the scripture says in 2 Timothy, or 2 Peter rather, chapter 1 and verse 10, Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. And verses 17 through 19 of this chapter, we see the reaping of the grapes. Now the scene changes and we move from the field to the vineyard. The lost are compared to a field of grapes that is ripe to the bursting. They're ready to be harvested. When grapes are harvested, they're placed in a wine press. In those days, grapes were processed by placing them in a wine press, and a wine press usually consisted of two vats connected by a channel. The grapes were placed in the upper chamber, and people would climb into the wine press and use their feet to crush the grapes, extracting their juices. The juice would run out of the upper vat through the channel and into the lower vat where it would be collected for winemaking. Again, we're given a picture of the world slated for judgment. This world has rejected Jesus Christ as the true vine, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. They have attached themselves to the vine of this world and they have drunk deeply of the wine of sin and have rejected the God of glory. This world has rejected God, his son Jesus, but my friend, one day he will come and they will face him in judgment. He will crush this world system and all those who hold to it under his feet like a man crushes a grape. This is the very image that Isaiah paints of the coming king in Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6. Jesus is coming in wrath and judgment, and there is no escape. The enemies of God will be thrown into the winepress of the wrath of God, and my friend, they will be judged. Now I call your attention to verse 20. 
the Lord and his reckoning. Verse 20 concludes John's vision. It gives us some insight into where the great judgment will take place. And there's coming a day of reckoning. And this verse gives us some much-needed insight into the horrible event. First, we see the place of his reckoning. The verse tells us that the winepress was trodden without the city. Now, this does not tell us where this event will take place. However, what we are seeing in these verses is actually a vision of a coming battle called Armageddon. Now, according to Revelation 16 and verse 16, a terrible battle will take place here. And I believe this battle that is being pictured in our text, Armageddon, means the hill or the city of Megiddo. And Megiddo is located in the plain of Estralon. Now this location is the site of some famous biblical battles. It was here that Barak and Deborah defeated the Canaanites in Judges 4 and 5. It was here that Gideon defeated the Midianites in Judges 6 through 8. This same valley is the place that both King Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in battle in 1 Samuel 31. King Josiah also met his death in the valley of Megiddo in 2 Chronicles 35. It is here in this same valley where the armies of the earth will come together seeking to destroy the king of kings. It is here in this place that Napoleon described as the greatest and most natural battlefield in all the world. It is here that the final battle of the earth will be fought. Then we see the pain of his reckoning. We're told that the winepress will be trodden. The word means to crush with the feet. This is a very vivid description of what Jesus will do to those who have despised and rejected him. Like a man crushing grapes in a wine press, he will crush the enemies of God under his feet. And this is the promise of the word of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 24 through 28, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, a person can either be crushed under his feet or held in his arms. You have that option. You can either be crushed under the feet of the king of kings or be held in his arms. The sinner can either be the focus of God's wrath or the focus of God's grace. And if I were you, I'd be certain that I was saved so that I'd miss out on this terrible time of judgment. But I would also point out the permanence of his reckoning. What we're witnessing here is a total destruction, a total destruction of the enemies of God. This is not a probation period. This is not a judgment that will be lifted after a while. It has no sunset date. This is a total annihilation as far as the physical man is concerned. The image here is one of violence and death. 
We're told that the blood will run as high as the horse's bridles, and I believe I take that to be literal. That would be between four and five feet deep. It will flow in a river some 1,600 furlongs long, which is about 200 miles. Can you imagine such carnage? Our minds cannot even conceive of this amount of blood. It was said by Josephus, the ancient writer and historian, that so much blood flowed through the streets of Jerusalem when Titus sacked the city. Many of the fires that had been sent to destroy Jerusalem were actually put out by the blood that poured from the bodies of the slain Jews. The armies of the world will gather in one final attempt to defy God. Jesus will return and by his word, he will destroy the enemies of God and tread them down in the winepress of his wrath. Hundreds of millions of soldiers will die in this catastrophic battle, Revelation 19, verses 11 through 21. The blood of the fallen will fill the valley of Megiddo from, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. Men have rejected the precious, saving, life-changing blood of Jesus. Now they will wallow in their own blood. My friend, we read of these events and we cannot even comprehend. Our minds cannot wrap it around the truth of these verses and comprehend with such devastation so much that many deny them. Many seek to, de to, to de uh, avoid these in the word. Yet the Bible says it is coming. In fact, some of the Old Testament prophets wrote about these very events. Zechariah, chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. The minor prophet Joel, chapter 3, verses 11 through 14. This battle will take place, and God will be victorious. I don't know whether any person, under the sound of my voice, whether you're listening by radio broadcast or podcast throughout the world, we just got a recent report that we're in 30, 30, 35 states and we're in 32 nations around the world being, being downloaded. We thank God for that. We don't say it to brag. We say it just for informative purposes only, I promise you. But every person in the sound of my voice must make a decision about Jesus Christ. I trust that you've made that decision. And I trust that you've made the decision in the affirmative to accept Christ. But I know this. Some listening to me may be where Joel was as he spoke of this rather in Joel chapter 3 and verse 14. You may be in that valley of decision. You need to decide whether you will claim the blood of Jesus Christ and the salvation it gives 
or whether you will face him someday to shed the blood of destruction. His blood saves. Your blood condemns you to judgment and hell. Thousands of years ago in Egypt, God saved his people by the blood of a lamb. They killed that lamb, they placed its blood on the doorpost of their houses, and they went in, and when they did, they were saved, safe, and secure. They were under the blood. When the death angel passed through the night, they were spared because they were under the blood. What about you? Are you under the blood today? Has the blood of Jesus Christ been applied to the doorpost and lintels of your heart? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? I hope so, for if you haven't, you will face him as your judge one day soon enough. And if you're in the valley of decision, come to Christ right now. One day Jesus Christ will call his court to order and you need to be sure that you are saved before that day ever comes. Come to Christ. Come to him now. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org. And let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.